0: The History of the World Podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. This is Volume 1, The Prehistoric World, Episode 5, Lower Paleolithic Stone Tools. Previously on the History of the World podcast, we told the story of how our ancestors, the Australopithecines, evolved into the first proto-humans, Homo habilis, and into the first fully upright humans, Homo erectus. We discovered that human species had left their heartland of Africa on foot and had begun to colonise the Eurasian landmass. We also learnt that our evolution is not a simple linear evolution, but that many different species of hominin had indeed previously coexisted, and that many species have previously died out in failed natural evolutionary experiments. We learnt that humans were making technological advances in stone tool creation and fire manipulation, which enabled them to further enhance their intelligence and expand into less favourable climates and less familiar landscapes. So this week's podcast will explore those technological advances in more detail so that we can better understand our prehistoric development. The Lower Paleolithic period marks the beginning of the Stone Age. Paleo or Paleo, depending on your preference, means old and lithic means stone. The Lower Paleolithic period differs from the Middle Paleolithic and the Upper Paleolithic, which in turn are more modern. It was always widely assumed that humans were the first to use stone tools in prehistory. Certainly finds from various locations supported this. However, to start to learn how we perceive the Lower Paleolithic in modern years, we should join our old friend Louis Leakey, in that very familiar location of Olduvai Gorge, which should be called Oldupai Gorge. It is the 1930s and the gorge is in the British administered territory of Tanganyika, which is modern Tanzania. Lewis was a young man back then. To put this into some context regarding previous podcasts, this was around the time of Lewis's first marriage to Frida and his professional relationship with the German-born Hans Reck was very well established. Olderwey man had already been discovered, and Lewis was very keen to continue work at the gorge to see what else could be uncovered. What they would uncover would reveal a set of stone tools that were far more prehistoric than the ones that paleoanthropologists were already familiar with. Lewis called them Olderwan tools, named after the Olderwey Gorge, From which they were recovered. Hard Hard hammer hammer percussion. percussion. Hard hammer percussion is a technique of prehistoric stone tool construction, and this is how it works. I want you to picture having a stone in each hand. In your less dominant hand, so if you are right handed, this would be your left hand, you will be holding a core stone. In your dominant hand, You will have a hammer stone. The hammer stone will naturally be a harder stone than the core stone. The name of the game with hard hammer percussion is simply to strike the core stone with the hammer stone and knock off flakes from the core stone to create a sharp ridge to the remainder of the core stone. You would then use the hammer stone to strike the remainder of the core stone to remove the sharp ridge as a flake of its own. You can then take this sharp ridge flake and utilise it as a tool. We believe that our ancestors were doing this at Olduvai Gorge 2.5 million years ago due to being able to ultimately radiometrically date the Olduvai Gorge. The time period seems to be in the transitional period between Australopithecines and Homo habilis. Should they find an animal carcass which back then they would have likely scavenged from a kill made by another predator, then they could use these sharp stone flakes to carve the meat from the carcass and access the marrow within the bones of the carcass. You could even use them to scrape the flesh from the hides of these animals so that you could have a nice clean hide to keep you warm and sheltered. Now, I have watched some experts demonstrate this kind of stone napping. There has to be a considered thought process when constructing these blades. The core stone and the hammer stone would have had to have been carefully selected, otherwise the whole process would not work. The core stone does tend to benefit from some intricate working of the sharp ridges to make them more smooth and effective. I believe that in order to pass down this skill from generation to generation would take a decent level of intelligence and probably a basic level of communication at least. Some scientists will argue the case but there does exist a stone technology among modern monkeys that isn't quite on this level. Chimpanzees, among other monkeys, do use stones to break nuts open, for example, but there certainly isn't this kind of stone working at play, so I think that the animal that created these tools was quite advanced in terms of intelligence and communication skills by comparison to modern monkeys. Before we move forward in the story, it is worth briefly tackling the issue of whether hominins of this time period were hunters or scavengers. They were more likely to scavenge than hunt initially but there would have certainly been an advance towards hunting and further away from scavenging the kills of other predators. A lot of the texts that I have read are fairly inconclusive on this subject but one text that I read suggested that some of the bones found at Olduvai Gorge suggest that carnivore bite marks overlay the hominin carve marks which suggests that the hominin had the carcass first. Certainly there is not a lot of evidence for tools during the olderwan period that seem specific to hunting and the hominins at the time would certainly not have been able to move as quickly as their future hominin species. It is suggested that hominins could have dwelled in groups of up to 30 members so cooperatively they may have been able to strategize to bring down a potential prey victim. Madrasian culture Let us investigate a new instance of stone tool technology which can help us bridge some gaps from previous podcasts. During the 19th century in India, the British East India Company commissioned a geological survey of India, primarily to assess the mining potential of the country. A British geologist and archaeologist called Robert Bruce Foote joined the survey in 1858, And around five years later, he chanced across a site called Atirapakan, quite near the city of Chennai, which was then known as Madras. What he found at the site were bifacial hand axes and cleavers made from quartzite. These artefacts have been since attributed to the Aeschilian tool culture and are believed to be around 1.5 million years old. The peoples of this prehistoric site are now referred to as the Madrasian culture. Now, we're going to talk in detail about the Acheulean tool culture, but this particular site is particularly interesting to us because it would tie in fairly nicely with our migratory story of Homo erectus across the south of the Asian continent from the last podcast. Yan Man was thought to be about 1.7 million years old, and its place in southwest China, is directly north of Atirampakan. Acheulean tool Culture The Acheulean Tall Culture is thought of as the next stage forward from the Alderwan tool Culture mentioned earlier in the podcast. So not only had hominins evolved from the ape-like Australopithecines and Homo habilis to the upright and expertly mobile on-the-ground Homo erectus, but also, the tool culture had moved on from the crude cutters and scrapers of the older one culture. So, let's have a closer look at what supplanted the older one creations. The name of the Acheulean tool culture is derived from the Saint Acheule quarter of Amiens, France. This place was excavated in the 1840s following the discovery of many stone tools, which gave us a snapshot of our past. What some of the Acheulean tools demonstrate is a form of bifacial stone working. So we are creating stone cutting tools. But the most important thing is that we are creating tools with several uses. So the creator would take a large rock of a particular density and material that would have been ideal to work with. Then he would strike flakes off each side of the rock to create a sharp edged tool that was small enough to hold in the hand but large enough to make a significant impact with. This is something we tend to refer to as a hand axe. These hand axes are speculated to have been created by a wider range of objects in the place of the hammer stones, such as bones, antlers or wood. This would have been able to give the workman greater precision when working the core stone than with previous Wen technology. A great number of these hand axes have been discovered across the continents of Africa, Europe and Asia. By and large, it is believed that the Acheulean hand axe was primarily a tool used for cutting, much like the older one tools, but only much more intelligent and skillful stonework to create large, versatile tools. Some speculate that by throwing your Acheulean hand axe at something, it would probably double well as a significant weapon of attack. Certainly, their forefathers would have probably thought nothing of throwing even the most basic of rocks at a potential predator, but throwing a rock with a purposely worked sharp edge could have caused more impact damage to its target, opening up the distinct possibility of more successful first-hand hunting exercises. Some have even speculated that the man with the largest Acheulean hand axe could be the most desirable But we may never know the full truth about that one. With the association of Homo erectus predominantly with the Acheulean hand axe, we can suppose that Homo erectus was very pleased with it. Technology really didn't advance a great deal for around a million years in regards to this particular stone tool. To manufacture such a tool would require sufficient skill to suggest that a good amount of cognitive ability would have been needed. To be able to construct an effective hand axe would require patience, thoughtfulness and probably a good deal of experience. But if it wasn't something essential to Homo erectus' survival, then it would come as no great surprise that a great deal of time and effort during this animal's lifetime would have been necessary to devote to this art. Acheulean hand axes have been found at the Jogodian site in China. This is where we discovered Peking Man during our Homo erectus podcast. Also, they have been found at Yanmao County, also in China, where we discovered Yanmao Man during the same podcast. They also have been found at the Starkfontein Caves of South Africa, which we visited during the Homo habilis podcast. So this tall culture was extremely widespread, as it spilled out of Africa and to the far reaches of Europe and Asia. Self-consciousness Now, it was around the time of the Acheulean stone tool culture that we can see the emergence of human-controlled use of fire, which was explored during the last podcast. Now, I've read a few books for material for this podcast and have stumbled across the same illusion on more than one occasion. It is also during this period that we start to see references to humans being a self-conscious animal. So what we mean by that is that there is an awareness of being an individual among a species and that individual knew that one day he would ultimately have to surrender his life whether by direct or natural cause. So, for example, the human being was obviously using fire to deliberately cook food by around 800,000 years ago, as demonstrated by evidence obtained from Gesher Benot Yakov, once again mentioned in the previous podcast. However, one text that I've read compares this to modern tribes who cook the food to clean it. Eating clean food is their way of symbolically recognising that they are different from the rest of the animal world. Now, whether this was a factor in the minds of these prehistoric firemasters is hotly debatable to say the least, but this cannot be completely dismissed. If you remember, earlier in this podcast we discussed that a man's hand axe could even have been used to demonstrate the man's manliness. The man with the most impressive hand axe could be the most desirable man to a woman. A woman will naturally want the healthiest and most capable offspring, so the man with the most impressive hand axe would undoubtedly demonstrate a man with capability and cognitive strengths. This might sound like quite a far-out assumption to make, but it actually explains the hordes of seemingly unused and impractically oversized hand axes which have been discovered in parts of Africa. Certainly at some point our sense of self-being would have been realised so there is no real reason why now would not have been the time. In order to be able to leave Africa and colonise the less hospitable areas of Europe and Asia those that are subject to seasonal change, rougher terrain and lower temperatures would have certainly benefited from the use of fire for warmth and working light. But they must have been working together in cohesive groups And they would have been encouraged as individuals to specialise in particular skills. So, if you had a man that was significantly better at making hand axes than the rest of his group, then would it not increase your chances of survival to keep him on hand axe duty, while the expert hunters hunted, and the expert shelter builders were left to build shelters, while the fire makers tended the fires? If this is correct, you would have had to have known your role, and know yourself enough, to understand why you were in that role. Further Uses of Fire Control of fire by humans is an absolutely fascinating subject. A study of one of the first significant distinguishing factors between humans and other animals. There are two aspects to the whole fire thing though. Humans were likely very skilled at using fire before even being able to produce fire so the very earliest uses of fire would have been through humans discovering a fire and putting it to use. There are a number of speculated sites where the use of fire by humans has been claimed. However, even though some experts claim it, there are those who can challenge the theory by suggesting that the fire exposed artefacts that were found could have been burnt by accidental fire. The fact is that it can be very hard to say assertively of any site over 1 million years old that it was a site where fire was definitely under human control. In the last podcast, we discussed the site of Gesher Benot Yarkov in Israel, which dates to almost 800,000 years ago. This site shows to a great degree that humans deliberately used fire to cook foodstuffs in what is suggested to be hearths. You wouldn't construct a hearth unless you had a very real and regular requirement for heat. So you would have to be very definitely and deliberately using fire's heat. There are scientists who believe that the ability to cook foods has gone a great way into making us the intelligent human beings that we are today. But if there is a direct correlation here, then that would suggest that humans were deliberately using fire a long time before 0.8 million years ago. Another theory speculates that by living near the lava-rich prehistoric environs of Africa's Great Rift Valley would have presented opportunities to find sources of extremely hot molten rock that could generate enough heat to scorch the landscape and even set things on fire. So by living in these areas humans most likely had more chance of finding fires than in other parts of the continent. It could have been there that humans first observed fire on a regular basis and got to know more about its nature and behaviour. Until we find more evidence, then we will have to opt for taking educated guesses based on the archaeological evidence. Fire production from friction. So it's one thing to try and ascertain when it was that humans started to deliberately use fire to their advantage, but it's another thing altogether to determine when humans started producing their own fire. There is very little evidence of any prehistoric tools for fire production, as it is believed that it would have been wooden tools that would have decayed away very easily over the years, rendering themselves invisible to us nowadays. So we look to those tribes that still exist on the modern planet that live in a very simplistic fashion. They are our closest living link to our past. So we do wonder if our prehistoric ancestors were using the same wooden fire ploughs that we see nowadays within these tribes. This would involve taking a long but solid piece of wood and creating a groove in the middle lengthways. Then you would take another thin but sturdy piece of wood and firmly rub backwards and forwards in the groove of the original piece. This friction caused by the rubbing generates heat and after a small amount of time you will notice a small amount of smoke. At that point you would considerably increase the speed of the rubbing while the dust from the rubbing will collect itself into a pile at the far end of the groove. After some persistent and vigorous rubbing the dust will turn into a smoking hot pile of debris which can then be used to burn things not least of all your fingers if you're not careful. The fire drill is an alternative method which also relies on friction. This time, rather than rubbing backwards and forwards, you would spin the point of a long pencil-shaped piece of wood in a hole created on a base piece of wood set firmly on the ground. This would generate the heat through friction to be able to start smoke and in turn fire. There are other ways of creating fire through friction, but these are often the most referred to due to the simplicity of the mechanics. They would seem like the likeliest methods used all those hundreds of thousands of years ago. Advances, Advances in, in technology. technology. The Acheulean tool culture appears to be a very successful one. As archaeological evidence, points towards this technology not altering a great deal for hundreds of thousands of years. The mastery of fire and the more ornate stonework of Homo erectus helped it to spread and colonise other areas of the world where it ought not naturally be. Upon reaching Achille in Amiens, France, Homo erectus would have been shocked by the winter. Unlike the equatorial climate, which maintains a fairly constant temperature all year round, the weather of Ashul would have been some 15 to 20 degrees centigrade less during the winter months. Not only this, but the amount of daylight during these winter months would have been four hours fewer than the consistently 12-hour days of the equator. It does not seem out of the question that humans would have looked for a safe place to dwell, like a stone cave, so that they were not exposed from all sides. Any predator would have had to venture in from where it is likely that a bonfire existed that would have been maintained and refuelled with wood and other burnable debris regularly. The fire would have provided light and warmth, which would have replaced the light and warmth that they could take for granted in the more temperate regions of their origination. They would have had shelter, flora and fauna, basically everything they needed to survive. And this is how Homo erectus spread out from Africa. Going forwards, leaving the Acheulean culture behind and entering the last half a million years, we would start to see advances in tool technology we would start to see even more intricate stonework which would show cognitive advances in understanding how to use stones to create even more effective cutting tools. We would see how wooden spears could be put to use for the purpose of hunting. These wooden spears would be sharpened at one end by a stone blade and even then fire hardened by the controlled fire source available. Beyond this, Humans would then use wooden spears and stone points together to create the first tools with a wooden handle. This is where the story enters into the Neanderthal period. So we will halt the advance there. The First Tool Users It has been an extremely interesting special episode of the History of the World podcast where we have explored the first Stone Age innovations and the human being's first mastery of fire. Fire control is certainly a distinguishing factor between humans and the rest of the animal kingdom, but what about stone tool technology? Now, I've purposefully avoided talking about this at length, even though I have throughout the first few episodes of this podcast offered small teasers. Traditionally, it was always thought that the earliest stone tool technology that we could confidently say existed is the Oldowan tool culture that emerged at a similar time as Homo habilis. In 1999, a member of Meve Leakey's team was searching for fossils near Lake Turkana in Kenya. If you remember, Meve Leakey is the wife of Richard, Lewis and Mary's second son. Lake Takana is where Kamoya-Kimeu, a close associate of the Leakeys, discovered the Homo ergasta fossil called Takana Boy in 1984. A new fossil was found in 1999, another hominin, this time dating to around 3.5 million years ago. Some believe this to be an Australopithecus. However, the distinct flatness of the hominin's face has not only led to it being given the species' name of Platyops, which means flat appearance, but also to put it into its own genus, much like Paranthropus. The genus proposed for the hominin is Kenyanthropus. In 2011, a team of archaeologists were working close to where Kenyanthropus platyops was discovered and they found some stone artefacts. Now once again, they were found after part of the team took a wrong turn and ended up in an area that hadn't been explored. How many times have we heard that in relation to important discoveries already? These tools were large and cumbersome compared to Oldowan tools they appeared to be made by taking a stone and altering its shape by hitting it against a rock, which is not as calculated and considered as the technique used with the older one. The results in terms of the tool's effective result were clearly not as impressive as the older one, meaning that this had to be a newly discovered stone age technology much older than the older one. The tools were discovered at a place called Lamekwi in Kenya. The tools themselves are now categorised as the Lamekwian and predate the Oldowan which was originally thought of as the starting point. As such that means that we have had to move the start of the lower Paleolithic the human stone age back to 3.3 million years ago. 3.3 million years ago, there is no evidence of Homo habilis being alive. Therefore, stone tool technology was first used by the ancestors of humans and is not a defining feature of humanity. Next time, as promised, we will be exploring the ancestral human capability for speech and language. As ever, you can contact the podcast. Contact me directly at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com. That's all one word, historyoftheworldpodcast at mail, M-A-I-L dot com. When I analyse who's listening, I can see that not only are we reaching out to people in the United States of America, but also there seems to be fair amount of interest that has come up in Australia now this is interesting to me because if I tell you a little bit about how I write the podcast, so this is episode five. But at the moment earlier today, I was finishing off the writing of episode ten, so I try to stay five podcasts in front. Not only does it build my knowledge but it also means I'm not rushing to get my podcasts out. They've been written a long way in advance of their publication. So Australia comes up in podcast number 10. So I'm actually writing about how humans colonised Australia as we speak. And do you know what? Once again, we have so little evidence of how this happened. And it's a fascinating story about a sea crossing which scientists really can't agree on. They can't put their finger on. They're taking wild guesses I've studied that and I've come up with my own theory as to how that's happened. So that's something very relevant to our Australian listeners. So I'm looking forward to publishing that and then further to that, hearing back from you as to what you thought about it. And um, even if you send me a message saying, I thought that was a load of old rubbish, Chris, that would be great. You know, it'd be interesting to hear what people think. So that is something to look forward to. Next time, we're going to be looking at speech and language. Once again, another interesting podcast and a bit about the study and archaeology that we've been able to gather. It's once again one of those things we've had to take a lot of guesses on, but hopefully we can sort of collate it together and come up with some kind of theory of our own. I'd be very interested in hearing from you as ever, so please do write in or join us on the Facebook page and. Your opinions really matter to me So anyway that's it for this week We managed to get through this podcast very well So thank you very much once again for listening And look forward to linking up with you again This time next week The History of the World Podcast Written and presented by Chris Hasler Please consider making a financial contribution By going to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website clicking on the Patreon link. Email the show at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com And don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. See you next time.